well, I was talking to someone about this the other day and I was telling her, if someone would have asked me, how are you doing? Yes. Versus the scale. I think that whatever score I got, apparently I passed, but whatever score I got would have been very different than the answer I probably would have given somebody. No, right. And, yeah. and often also we're asked to tell a stranger mm-hmm. basically our deepest, darkest feelings of how we're feeling because let's like be real. Depression can be really scary. The things that we think about and the thoughts that cross our mind and you're your challenge with talking to a stranger about it. And my biggest fear was, oh, if I tell them how I'm really feeling, they're going to take my baby away. Welcome to the New Mamas podcast. This podcast was created to help first-time moms everywhere navigate this new stage of life and to talk about the honest and the raw moments in motherhood. I'm your host, Lena Forrestal. I'm a working mom by day and a blogger and photographer by mid-afternoon. And as a first-time mom myself, I'm on this journey with you. So, new mamas, let's do it. Let's kick off the episode and get to the good stuff. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that I'm extremely passionate about, and it's the lack of support that we have postpartum. And then the second topic that we're going to be talking about, I know nothing about, so I'm super excited to be educated today, and it's the need for pelvic floor physical therapy after having your baby. I have Jessica London here today to help break down these topics. Jessica, thank you for being here with us and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much, Linda. I really appreciate being able to have this really important conversation. So yeah, my name is Jessica London. Uh, I am a doctor, a physical therapist, and I practiced through orthopedic medicine, um, orthopedic outpatient for a while until I had my son, which then spiraled me into the world of pelvic floor physical therapy and my passion and desire to bring that to women and um, continue to educate and just raise awareness really for this really amazing profession that's not utilized well in postpartum care at this point. No, and I'm 10 months postpartum and truly there's so much I don't know. And one of the things is this whole pelvic floor physical therapy. I didn't even know that I could get it and should I get it? And do you have to be damaged to get it, right? Like there's all these questions that, and probably misconceptions that a lot of women have. So I'm so excited to learn more about that. But let's start with your birth story and how you feel about postpartum care. Yeah, my my birth story actually is a huge reason of why I decided to get into this as well. Um, I planned a home birth and um, I was really excited about it. And I I honestly like feel like I did everything to prepare as mu- as best as I possibly could. And after almost two and a half days of continuing to be at home in labor, uh, I wasn't progressing and we were just having a really difficult time getting baby to descend and dilating. We tried, we tried all different types of things and um, we ended up 
a little concerned about his heart rate at times. And so the, the call was to go to the hospital and to see if, you know, maybe if my body could rest, um, since I hadn't got sleep in a couple days, oh, no. <laughs> my body could rest and just see, you know, if uh, once I dilated, then, then I would be able to, um, have a vaginal birth. I ended up did, I dilated finally to 10 after almost three days and on you know, all of the drugs and Pitocin and all the things that um, I didn't necessarily desire, but also didn't have a negative connotation um, Mm -hmm. around. Ended up dialing to 10. It was such a party. Everyone cried. We were laughing. It was like, oh my gosh, this this is the best thing ever. Finally, we made it. Oh my God. For almost three hours. And, you know, it just, he he wasn't descending. And um, OB came in and tried to like rotate him. And um, she was like, he is just lodged in your pelvis. And so oh, long no, story short, I know I couldn't believe it. Um, you know, I, was, I still was in shock for quite a while, but, um, I ended up having a cesarean and it was just like rolling into that third day <laughs> and I had a cesarean and that was at like, it was like just after midnight. And so this was the third night of no sleep and ended up having a cesarean and was so exhausted and tired um, and then I had a newborn that I had to care for on top of just having major abdominal surgery and then realizing, you know, this is where we lack the support. And um, I never had this perspective, even as a physical therapist, I think I could see healthcare and the need for um, support from my, from my physical rehabilitation background, but, but didn't quite get met with that. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was basically my birth story. Um, and that's that. (laughs) Wow. So on that third day, were you, were you just like, how are you feeling about having a C-section? Were you just like, I don't like, just, let's just get this over with, or were you disappointed because you wanted a vaginal birth? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really, we always say like healthy baby is the most important thing, but that doesn't take away from the the traumatic experience or just the the feeling of the desire you wanted. We can't plan birth, right? And so, especially as a first time mom, not ever going through labor, um, I think I had potentially some expectations that, oh, I'm going to, you know, if I do everything right, then I'm going to get the birth that I want. And that was just so not true uh, and, and not, especially in my experience. But yeah, it was really hard. I, I didn't do well for the first few months after labor. I was really emotional about it. Um, I, I believe I suffered from some postpartum depression anxiety that never was clinically diagnosed and because I never sought help for it. Um, didn't know where to go or what to do about it. But, hey, we got through it. And, um, you know, it, it kind of lit a fire under me to, to get out there and try to raise awareness and education for people. I love that. I, I completely agree that you didn't say this yet but I I get like I understand what you mean about it lit a fire because that's how I felt about starting this podcast too I felt such a lack of postpartum care and support and knowledge that Mm -hmm. I just really wanted to help other women that would potentially go through this experience and just have somewhere to turn even if it's just to hear our stories because Mm -hmm. something that I felt was really lonely and I I just didn't understand like it was and I, and I have this great article that I read that we're going to break down together on this but so many other countries actually help you 
plan for postpartum like before but we I feel like I really do feel like it was you know I went I, I and I had gestational diabetes so around the end I was considered high risk and I went to the doctors like every week to get monitored and that was great but there was never a conversation about postpartum ever there was no conversation it wasn't okay so you should expect this or you should expect that like when you go home just there was nothing not even a discussion about how crazy my hormones would be the most that was said to me in the hospital was a nurse spoke to my husband and I and said hey she's gonna cry a lot so you have to be there for her. And actually, at the time, I was so impressed with that. I was like, ooh, look, that was so helpful. But now I'm yeah. like, that was just scratch. That was like the tip of the iceberg of what could happen. Because also, like you mentioned, you believe that you experience some symptoms of postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. And I forget the stat exactly, but it's a huge amount. It's a huge percentage of women that go through postpartum depression and anxiety and it often goes undiagnosed because like you I didn't know what I didn't know I went through postpartum anxiety I didn't know the symptoms so I thought everything I thought the paranoia Mm -hmm. and the anxiety that I was feeling was totally normal I was like oh no this is just part of being a new mom I'm just paranoid yeah it was so not normal there are no standards in place, really. And I think that, um, you know, they do, they try to do a screening at the pediatrics appointment. I'm not sure which, if you filled out that scale, but I think that's the last thing on our minds, quite honestly, when we're taking our, especially the, you know, first time mom, you're just, how do I just get the baby in the car and bring it inside? And there's just, it's like a whole process, right? And then you want me to fill out this form about me. I'm not even thinking about me. And should I fill it out correctly or, or like, should I, you know, should I tell them the truth or should I just play it low? You know, it's just such a, um, you know, I, well, I was talking to someone about this the other day and I was telling her if someone would have asked me, how are you doing Yes. versus the scale? I think that whatever score I got, apparently I passed, but whatever score I got would have been very different than the answer I probably would have given somebody. No, right. And, yeah. and often also we're asked to tell a stranger mm-hmm. basically our deepest, darkest feelings of how we're feeling because let's like be real. Depression can be really scary. The things that we think about and the thoughts that cross our mind and you're, you're challenged with talking to a stranger about it. And my biggest fear was, oh, if I tell them how I'm really feeling, they're going to take my baby away. For sure. So that was my, and I was like, I'm not going to tell them that I won't let my husband hold my child. Like, I am just going to play it peachy until I get home. <laughs> um, but how do you think that your postpartum could have been better supported? Yeah. So... You know, I have an interesting story here because because I did initially plan a home birth, I worked with home birth midwives and part of the home birth care. And I, I'd love to share this with everyone as well, just so they are aware of this. But part of home birth midwifery care does include frequent postpartum visits. And so they did, even though they didn't um, deliver my baby, they were there in the hospital with me for the three days that I was, you know, for the whole experience. Um, And also they check in one day after baby, three days, one week, two weeks, and then four and six, I think it was. But that's what a home birth midwife 
it's part of their routine care for postpartum. So I, I believe that they do a much better job of caring for mom's postpartum and checking in with baby, but then also checking in and trying to take care of mom. Um, what, what I noticed the significant gap in was because I had a cesarean, I was supposed to receive a six week checkup to make sure that my incision was healing and all of that. And I went to my final six week checkup with my home birth midwife and she was like, did the hospital contact you? What, what was their thoughts? Like, did they give you the all clear? Um, Cause I was asking a few more questions on my recovery and I was like, no one contacted me. She's like, what? So I realized like, wow, if I didn't have these midwives continuing to follow me, I would have been lost in the system. I would have had no care. And saying that, you know, I've had multiple women contact me and said they didn't get a six week checkup either, or their six week checkup was virtual because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, or they got the one six week checkup and it was just to talk about birth control check for five seconds on their scar not being infected and they said okay you're good to go you're cleared for sex and exercise that was me right that was you and so um i finally had to call them and schedule my appointment like is someone supposed to check on me and they're like oh i'm sorry we didn't you know well yeah of course come on in and it ended up being like eight weeks and it was the same experience of what i heard you know you just come in they check birth control they talked about birth control options checked my incision and um, pretty much were like, you're good to go, go get a, you know, get a pelvic exam in a year. And it was interesting. I, 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 um, I was shocked, utterly surprised. And in my experience in the hospital, I was also surprised because that's part of postpartum care too. I remember um, as physical therapists, like we are movement and functional experts in the field of healthcare. Um, and we help people return to safe exercise and safe movements after surgery, after an injury, whatever it may be. And I've worked in hospitals before treating people after, um, you know, total knee surgery or hip surgery, back surgery, whatever it is, you get a post, you get a physical therapist in that suite in your hospital room the day after surgery, and then to check in with you. And then there's a discharge plan that's created for you from a physical therapist telling you what you should be aware of when you go home, um, what what positions you should avoid, what exercises you should start to do, helping you kind of navigate how you're going to get from your bed to your bathroom, all of the simple little things that you just had surgery and you need some follow-up care on how to safely navigate around your home and how to recover best. And so I was waiting so naive. I was waiting in the hospital room. Like, I wonder if my physical therapist is going to, no one came. And there is no physical therapist in the hospital for mom's postpartum. Nope. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, nothing. And I think that, I think that's definitely the first line of defense that we could have help with getting a good solid discharge and plan place and plan. So yeah, that's kind of my initial postpartum experience. And then also my very unique longer postpartum experience but after that six week I had no follow-up care from anyone yeah I think that's pretty standard here which is kind Mm -hmm. of sad I I wish that I wish that if at the very least the doctors would hand you off to other specialists and maybe it's a handoff of you should consider physical therapy 
because of this. You should consider seeing a mental health counselor Mm -hmm. because your hormones are going to be crazy for the first year. When you stop breastfeeding, this is going to happen. Like there was no, it was just Mm -hmm. question marks. You really, moms in the US really are on their own in this period. Mm -hmm. And you know, you mentioned midwife and I didn't even know, and I feel like I I probably represent most moms. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know I could get I mean, I heard people talk about doulas and midwives, but honestly, it just seemed really, it seemed like an archaic practice to me. And I, I guess, imagined when I imagined midwives and doulas, and I know this is not right, but I literally imagined everyone like lighting candles, holding hands, yeah. and like chanting or like casting spells. And I mm-hmm. like, I know that's not what it is, but when I was pregnant, I was like, oh, I don't need that. I'm good. Like, I'm going to go to the hospital. But mm-hmm. it's a, that's another area that I feel like when women are getting when they're pregnant or even when they're trying they should know about what a midwife is in a doula and postpartum care like speaking about postpartum i learned that you can get a postpartum doula and like i want that for when we have our baby number two Mm -hmm. i want a postpartum doula like Mm -hmm. i want all the help yeah you don't know and in other countries they provide that automatically, but in our country, we have to pay for it and we don't know about it. So we have to find out about it and then we have to pay for it. But nonetheless, like postpartum doulas are amazing. Yeah. That's see everyone, Jessica, Jessica says they're amazing. So we should do it. No, I'm just kidding, but we should do it. So actually I have a vision of like, you know, I really do believe, you know, once you're discharged from the hospital, it needs to be an automatic referral to a public floor physical therapist, even at that six week, you know, Mark, once you see your OB or midwife at that at that six week checkup, it shouldn't be an automatic referral. Just to check out, make sure everything's good, give people some strategies, some safe guidance, but also mental health check-ins, lactation support, yes. social workers. Oh my god, postpartum doulas. I mean, these yeah. should be standard. It should be automatic and standard. It should. You're right. It should be a standard, and the fact that it's not. It just goes to show women's health are just is just so lacking. And this is a great segue because you mentioned care in other countries. So I read a great article on Healthline in the parenting section. And for everyone listening, I'll link it in the show notes so you can find it. But it cited what postpartum care looks like worldwide and how the U.S. is missing its mark. So let me read a quick excerpts and then you and I can talk about it. In the Netherlands and in Belgium, new mothers will have a, I'm not going to try this word, um, it's like cram, it's a, it's a, it's a Dutch word. <laughs> a very long Dutch word. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping that you could say it, Jessica. Oh we, gosh, I don't think so either, but it's, <laughs> it's basically a support person. Yes. So in, in the Netherlands and in Belgium, new mothers will have a maternity nurse who comes to the home to provide a minimum of 24 hours of care within the first eight days of discharge. In Spain, you'll receive a mother's passport, which is a check-in with a community midwife monthly. I mean, that's huge. Mm-hmm. That could have greatly impacted my postpartum experience if I had <laughs> if I just had someone to help me with the first eight days, because that was the scariest 
like eight that was the scariest time was you they 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 give you the new board you go home it's good luck yeah yeah and then on top of that you know for for those that have had you know surgery major abdominal surgery it's like I love the comparison of you know I've treated a lot of people recovering from knee hip back surgery and the things that we tell them most are we we need you to get good sleep Mm -hmm. we need you to get nutrition and we need you to gentle movement and and kind of do these exercises right and then i think about the the you know having a baby it's running a marathon right and immediately after whether you have a baby vaginally or cesarean it's exhausting and then you say and also make sure to keep this newborn alive there is no sleep hopefully someone's providing you the nutrition because you're not cooking it let's be real and you know what I mean? It's just not so standard. And so we that's where it takes a village. We need the village and we don't have the village here. Um, we, we really desperately need it. And not to mention in, in the U.S., our, our postpartum maternity care is so poor that we also are forcing moms to go back to work much sooner because of the constraints. So that takes away even more of the village and support and recovery that's needed so that's a whole nother topic i'm sure we could talk about for a long time but it's inclusive in that postpartum care oh yeah yeah and i actually took i took this quote out of our our discussion today but there was another quote where a doctor was saying that she has a hard time telling american moms to slow down because or because moms in america just don't know how to slow down we really in the in a lot it's standard that six to eight weeks of maternity leave that's what i had i had six weeks for vaginal birth eight weeks for a c-section and at six i feel like you blink and six weeks go by and your child is still your newborn is still so small and so dependent on you in those six to eight weeks it, it really is i think a crime to have yeah. american mothers go back to work that early I was looking, I, w- I posted something. And so I, oh, um, so get this. And it goes right along, along, along the lines of this. American dogs receive better maternity care than, than American working moms, right? So in 25 states in America, it's illegal to separate a baby from its mother within the first eight weeks of life. So the fact that like, it's illegal for that to happen. And then only some people get the six to eight weeks and not everyone even. Not every not everyone has the the privilege to be able to take those six to eight weeks. And while there is FMLA, right, it's like the Family Medical Leave Act, where I think if you've been at, a, at least in New Jersey, if you've been at a job at a year, they'll protect your job and you get 12 weeks unpaid. Now, mm-hmm. not everyone can afford to take it. And at the time my family situation we couldn't i was the sole provider of our family i -hmm. couldn't take 12 weeks even if i wanted to and that was real that was like such a jarring experience so that's why that's exactly like you said it lit a fire under me in wanting to talk about this and raise this issue so here's another quote from the same article for us to discuss Sarah Reardon, affectionately known as the Vagina Whisperer, says, I hear women say, I don't know what's normal. 
they're not given a baseline. You're frantically looking for information. Once you're home, you're over the initial high and you realize you're totally on your own and there's no help. It's up to you now. They don't give you resources. They just say it takes time or it'll go away or you call your doctor or your nurse and they say, let us know if it doesn't get better and there's no follow-up. It's all on you. It's all on the mother. How do you Mm -hmm. feel about that? I feel it so deeply in my core. (laughs) I agree with that uh, statement. I I absolutely agree with that. And, um, you know, ever since I started opening up more and talking about this on Instagram and social media, I cannot tell you how many moms also feel the same way. They do. It is a massive need and a massive loss that we're having right now. Yeah. For sure. And I I felt this one deeply, too, because I suffered from an allergic reaction right after birth, where Mm -hmm. basically my whole body erupted into hives. And yeah. And the worst part was they couldn't diagnose it. They didn't. My doctors didn't know what was wrong with me. They gave me steroids and said, let me know if it gets better. And let me know if it does. And, And it took so long to schedule an appointment with the dermatologist because he was booked out that by the time I got to the dermatologist at at eight weeks. So I suffered with this allergy for six weeks and it Mm -hmm. finally started to go away after eight weeks. They were just, they weren't even, there was really nothing to show him. And he said, well, you could have had an allergic reaction to this, could have had an allergic reaction to that. I don't know. I'm like, thanks. That's helpful. I could have told you that. So it it really is, uh, it is such a loss. So, and the fact that everybody, I feel like so many moms have similar experiences. Mm -hmm. I just like, when is my body going to feel back to normal? And they're like, well, you just had a baby. It takes time. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that's not really a helpful answer. Like, can someone give me some sort of guidance, like a timeline, but then also should I be doing anything or should I not? And so I just think it's like, we're almost just brushing it under the rug and not really fully addressing it like so many other women's issues we brush it under the rug exactly and if if our doctors could just give us a a timeline or a range Mm -hmm. three to six weeks or three to six months you're going to start feeling a little better six Mm -hmm. to nine months you'll probably start feeling a little bit more like yourself but it all depends on breastfeeding when you're done breastfeeding you're going to go through a hormonal change. And then three months after that, that's when you'll start to feel somewhat back to normal. See, was that that hard? I mean, that was right. probably grossly inaccurate. But <laughs> if someone had just told me that, mm-hmm. knowledge is power, right? Mm-hmm. So that would have just alone been helpful. Education alone reduces anxiety. Yes. I mean, there's so much research out there that you know, especially in our phys- the physical therapy world, where if I don't lay hands on anyone, if I don't provide any exercises, but all I do is educate you on what's going on in your body to the best of my knowledge and to the best of my opinion, and and share with you a plan of action. This is what I think is going on in your body, and this is where, how we're going to tackle it, and I would expect it to take around this amount of time. Just that alone has shown to reduce um, anxiety and pain levels. So they've wow. tracked. Yeah. So they've tracked people's pain at intake from an appointment 
And all they did for a few sessions was just talk to them, educate them on how the nervous system works, how the, how whatever injured muscle is, you know, working, how it plays a bigger part, talking about the plan by, by later it's, you know, by the end of the visit, their pain was reduced. And so it's just, it's incredible how much we know about education is power, like you said, and just having a plan of action and feeling some sort of guidance can reduce anxiety and can re- and just give someone some reassurance that they're on the right path or they need to change the path that they're on. Wow. I love that so much. I love that really just uh, validates all my, all my, I guess, hypothesis or hypotheses that if someone had just told me my experience could have been better, that really does validate that whole thing. So mm-hmm. while we're on the subject, let's shift the conversation to talking about our pelvic floor, something I know nothing about. How <laughs> Let's start with how important is it to take care of your pelvic floor and why? Yeah, I love this question because I think a lot of people don't even know what the pelvic floor is, where it's located, what it does or, or how it's supposed to help you in life. Right. And so we like to separate the pelvic floor. So I I guess I'll do a little background of like what the pelvic floor does for you so that we can understand why it's important to pay attention to it. So there are five main functions of the pelvic floor and that's support. So for our pelvic organs, so I'll back up for just one second. So the pelvic floor is like a hammock. It sits at the bottom of your pelvis and it goes from sit bone to sit bone or ischial tuberosity to ischial tuberosity. And then it goes from your pubic bone all the way back to your tailbone. So it truly does sit at the bottom of your pelvis like a hammock all around 360, that is your pelvic floor. And so the support element comes in because our pelvic organs are sitting there, our bladder, our uterus, our rectum, all of the things um, on top of it. And so it supports the organs. It also has, uh, it's called symphenteric or symphenteric properties. Basically it allows for um, like poop, pee, all the things, sexual functions to come out of it. So the third one is sexual function. And that allows for the pelvic floor contracts when you have an orgasm and it relaxes for penetration. I had no Uh, idea. So it has all these functions, stability. It plays a huge factor in low back, hip, um, SI joint stability, because the muscles go from various different places that are a part of the piece, they're a puzzle to the piece in our whole body, in our center. And then it also acts as a sump pump. So meaning um, it it kind of hydrates the blood and the lymphatic system to pump body, to pump that through the rest of the body. And so there's many functions of the pelvic floor specifically, um, but the one we, the ones we focus on postpartum the most are all of them. (laughs) And so when people have pelvic floor dysfunctions, it is related to all of the functions that the pelvic floor is supposed to do for you. So because there's three openings, there's three openings that pierce through the pelvic floor, the urethra, our vagina, our rectum. And so there's those three openings. And if the pelvic floor is not functioning properly, what are we going to have issues with? constipation, not able to pooping and peeing. We're going to urinate ourselves. Um, We're going to have, you know, right. We're going to have poor control and we're going to have many other dysfunctions that can lead to pelvic 
organ prolapse, um, pelvic pain just in general, and a lot of other things that can contribute to pelvic floor dysfunction. So that is why it's so important to pay attention to it because pregnancy takes a big toll on the pelvic floor. And when you have a vaginal birth, one of the main muscles of the pelvic floor called your levator ani, it actually stretches 250 times its normal resting tone. Yeah, oh 250% <laughs> more than its resting tone. And so it is massively stretched out. And so it also needs to be able to be strengthened afterwards. And it needs support and rehabilitation and neuromuscular training and education to be able to kind of regain that strength again and support so that you don't have issues with sexual dysfunction or stability issues or support when it leads to prolapse or issues with that, you know, congestion feeling in your, in your pelvic region. Um, that sump pump factor that we talked about. Wow. Yeah. I, I definitely coming home. One of the things, again, I was also unprepared for was peeing myself mm-hmm. randomly because I mm-hmm. guess I was lacking that pelvic control and yeah, it, yeah. It's con- lot of different things of why people leak urine. Um, and it is normal, I would say. No, I wouldn't say normal. I don't like the words normal when we talk about the pelvic floor, but I will say it's common to have some liquid leakage in the first six weeks. But after that, we really shouldn't have leakage and it's not normal. It's very common. And it's this sort of myth that now that you're a mother, since you've had a baby, now you have to buy pads for the rest of your life or you're not able to run or jump because you leak urine. Um, A lot of it is due to the lack of strength and stability that is there postpartum. It can also just be due to coordination. It could be to maybe your pelvic floor is over tight and and hypertonic contributing to that, that, um, that urine leakage as well. And so it can be a lot of different things. Um, but that's why it's so important to address it, to address that and know that there's help. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. So when is it appropriate to start taking care of our pelvic floor postpartum? Do we have to wait for that six weeks clearance or can we start right away? Do you want to walk us through that? Absolutely. I would say you definitely do not need to wait until the six weeks. The six weeks is, you know, it's a clearance for, for sex, for return to sex. If, if, if you're even ready at six weeks, I think that's so early anyways. Um, and I think that's so dependent per person. And that's why I hate the six week. Oh, you're all good because it's so person individual dependent, but the best time really is a couple weeks after postpartum, after you have your baby, Um, whether it's vaginal or C-section, I always say, give yourself a few weeks break. Don't worry about quote unquote, getting your body back or all these things. Right. But just, you know, rest, be present with your baby, do what you need to do for them. But what I always love people to start with around that two week mark is not really specific pelvic floor contractions or uh, exercises or going gangbusters on pelvic floor rehab. It's more along the lines of adequate breath work. Because the the breath, when you do a diaphragmatic breath, it works with the pelvic floor. So the diaphragm is like a C shape on the bottom of your ribs. And as you breathe in, the diaphragm flattens and the pelvic floor is supposed to lengthen. And right. And so as you take a deep breath, 
imagine your pelvic floor is relaxing. So like your vagina is relaxing or blooming out like a flower when you breathe in because the transfer of pressure is going down towards the pelvic floor. So thus it will naturally help the pelvic floor relax. And then as you take that breath in, the diaphragm will kind of recoil. And so the pelvic floor kind of comes up a little bit to resume that normal resting tone. So in a way you're able to exercise the pelvic floor just through breath, which is pretty powerful mm-hmm. and exciting for people because it make, gives them a sense of like, oh, I can do something and I feel productive, right? And so really good pelvic floor exercises start with really understanding how the breath diaphragm works with the pelvic floor and how to work that into your daily life. So around that two weeks, also, if you have a cesarean is a great time to, to do that breath work, to help that scar tissue mobilization, to kind of help adhesions from forming, just to get good circulation, lymphatic flow through that region. Uh, but then also it's okay to do some small like little circles above your C-section scar and below your C-section scar, just to try to start the scar tissue mobilization exercises. And then when you hit that six week mark or just, you know, kind of progress it over time, that's a really great time to see a pelvic floor physical therapist. (laughs) But it's also a good time, you know, to build up some of your walking tolerances and being able to kind of move around the house a little bit easier. Um, I have a, I have a, little freebie on my Instagram. It's kind of walking you through how to appropriately and correctly do a Kegel. And that's a great time that five, six week, seven week and beyond is kind of a great time to really start connecting the breath work with the pelvic floor. So start with breath, get that down, and then you can add in the pelvic floor around that five, six, seven and beyond mark. Um, And these are general guidelines because like I said before, every single person is so specific. Everybody yeah. is so different, and that's why we see pelvic floor physical therapists. Yes, that's why it is so nice to you reach out to one, get some advice. Um, pelvic floor physical therapy is so great too because they can also offer some internal support too if you need an internal exam um, to check to see how the muscles are are feeling, um, how scar tissue is has doing down there. Uh, it's another great way to get some support since the pelvic floor is multiple levels, it's three three levels deep, but the deepest layer, we can actually only reach through internal exam. So that's something that a qualified pelvic floor physical therapist can do as well. Wow. So this is, I'm just curious, I'm curious, do we, should we see a pelvic floor physical therapist? Like if we're thinking about having more babies and we're going mm-hmm. to go through this whole birth process again, is it important to prepare your pelvic floor for like part two of yes. what it went through? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. A lot of pelvic floor physical therapists work with um, people during pregnancy as well. Whether you have aches and pains during pregnancy, that's one reason to go see them. But then also birth prep is another great way because we're educated on what your body needs to do to prepare for labor and then also educated on how to recover from that labor, right? And so even if you just check in with a few visits, two or three visits with the pelvic floor physical therapist throughout your pregnancy, uh, maybe a couple visits in your second trimester and visit or two in your third trimester, we can help prepare you for what's to come, but then also get your body 
ready as well. And I think also also a misconception is that we need to do a ton of pelvic floor strengthening exercises to get ready for birth. And that's wildly untrue. I think it's super important, you know, in that second trimester, maybe the early third trimester to get really good neuromuscular control and understand that where your pelvic floor even is and how to contract that muscle. It's good to have that, that, you know, muscle coordination, but then really in the third trimester, we're trying to focus on pelvic floor relaxation, not mm-hmm. contraction. So pelvic floor works in two ways. We need to know how to contract the muscles to provide that stability and support. But we also need to learn how to really relax those muscles so that we can prepare for having a baby um, and also be able to relax those muscles so they're not constantly in fight or flight or constantly in that hypertonic state either. Wow, that is so interesting. I am definitely going to see a pelvic floor physical therapist when I'm pregnant because I just, like you said, knowledge is power and I feel like it can only make the whole labor process better if I know what's going on down there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would love to add in a couple more timelines for people because you and I talked about how that's so helpful for women to know, like, when should I start things and where should I go? And I feel like it leads in with that question that you asked. And I think often, you know, people get that six week clearance and they say, okay, well, I'm going to go start running again, or I'm going to go start to back to the gym and start lifting. And that's where we can really get into some trouble because if we don't do the proper progressive safe rehabilitation, we can get into some back pain, hip pain, increased prolapse issues that we don't want down the road, increased urinary leakage because we never did the foundation work before. And so it is so important to do that foundational work and also to remember like your body does take time to heal. So for for someone that had a cesarean, the fascia doesn't actually gain its tensile strength until about six or seven months after postpartum. And so it's important to understand that biologically, anatomically, our body does take time. It takes nine, 10 months to grow a baby, right? It's going to take about a year to really fully recover from this so that your body can do it all over again. The other one point I wanted to bring out is for those of you listening out there that are so such go-getters and you're runners or crossfitters and you like just want to get back into the game, I hear you, but wait at least 12 weeks. There's some really good research that has come out that has stated the new guidelines should really wait 12 weeks for return to running or return to high impact, you know, those heavy Olympic weightlifters or any sort of high impact activity if you normally do a lot of jumping, um, volleyball, whatever it may be. And so 12 weeks is really kind of when we would want you to even begin starting that. That doesn't mean you can't do progressive strengthening and exercising and increasing your walking before that. But I would encourage those of you who just want to get back out there and run, make sure that you're not having any symptoms for a 30-minute walk, no urinary leakage, leakage, no back pain, none of that. And making sure that you feel really strong doing single leg activities as well, since that's what running is. It's unilateral exercise. So um, I just wanted to share that too, because I feel like that's so uh, a missing piece where we, we run into a lot of people down the road that have trouble um, a couple years postpartum. And they're like, well, I just started running at six weeks and I didn't really do anything. And it can be a contributing factor. And so building the foundation now will help you later down the road. That is extremely helpful. Uh, Thank you so much for adding that in. 
Are there any exercises that you recommend that we should start doing postpartum? Or do you think that's reserved for a pelvic floor physical therapist to coach you on? Yeah, um, a little bit of both. I think that, you know, every single person deserves a tailored program to exactly when they're, you know, what's going to be best for them and their body. Um, And so my first number one recommendation would be to meet with the public floor physical therapy, get an assessment, um, get an idea of where your body's currently at, understand where your baseline is so that you guys can build off of your baseline. Because everybody at postpartum will be at a different starting point on their baseline. And so some people might not need a really easy exercise and some people might just to do core stabilization for six weeks. And both of those are okay. So my first answer would be to definitely, if you have the means um, financially and t- time and childcare and all the things that go into that, try to reach out to a public or physical therapist because you will reap the rewards. Um, if you're someone who can't, or you really just need to do something at home, Start slow with breath work first, add in the pelvic floor contraction, and then you want to progress into combining those two with functional movement patterns, moving a limb, uh, moving an arm. I have quite a few exercises on my Instagram as well that I'm going to try to take people through levels where they feel kind of like they can just go through it slowly. But again, this is so, I just want to, you know, hit it home. This is so personalized. So where you're at might be totally different than where another woman's at. And that's okay. That makes total sense. So should I ask you what a Kegel is and (laughs) what's the appropriate way to do them? Because I feel like who coined the whole Kegel thing or not coined, but wasn't it like big on news, like Jessica Simpson or Jennifer Lopez does Kegels in her car. Do you remember that? So funny. I do remember that. It's, um, it's funny it's funny because Kegels, you know, so many people do Kegels incorrectly, which is why I created like, are you doing your Kegel correctly? And just walking people through it kind of step-by-step because oftentimes we see this overactivation of the glutes and the pelvic kind of just, you know, the pelvis tipping backwards. And it's like this massive contraction when really, if you're doing a proper Kegel, no one should really know that you're doing it. And that might be the whole fact of like, she's doing them in her car, right? She's at a stop sign or at a stoplight and she's doing them. The person that looks over next to her has no idea that she's doing her public floor contractions. <laughs> um, but really like, uh, I always like to have people start lying first just because it's a gravity eliminated position versus seated. If you're, if you're seated, the gravity is going to pull down on your pelvic floor. And so thus, when you do your contraction, you're working against gravity, which just makes it more challenging to connect to. Yeah. So if you start on your back, uh, I left people start on my back on your back, have your feet flat on the floor, have your knees up. So you're in what's called a hook line position. And you really want to focus, take just a couple normal breaths in, like let your jaw relax because your jaw is connected all the way through the pelvic floor. <laughs> so I know <laughs> like you- as you're speaking, I'm like, oh, right. Clench your jaw and in, in your pelvic floor will also clench as well. And so everything's connected. And so I always just try to walk people through like, we're just going to lay here for a second and try to just let your whole body relax because we want to start in the most relaxed state, starting with the breath in, letting the pelvic floor relax or bloom out like a flower as you're breathing in and doing that big diaphragmatic breath and really trying to feel, and, and you might not have good 
understanding or connection to this muscle yet, especially if you've never done anything like this. So it's going to take practice, but letting it relax as you're breathing in. And then as you're breathing out, I like to give people the cue of imagine you're blowing out through a straw. So, so, and that also helps slow down the breath out as well. And as you're doing that, I want you to imagine that you're lifting like a blueberry or raisin through your vagina up towards your belly button, or you're sucking up through a straw. And so you can see the kind of the water going up all the way through the straw. So it's kind of a slow, all the way draw in. People have different cues that work for them. So should you shouldn't be doing it fast, like pulse, pulse. You should be doing oh, it. So, you know, you mean out or in? Well, pulse. I'm like <laughs> contracting my vagina right now. And so there's a lot of, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Am I doing it like pulse, 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 or am I like pulse and hold with the breath so that you don't have to think about the pulsing. So as you breathe in, pelvic floor relaxes. As you breathe out five seconds, right? Pelvic floor is contracting the entire time you're breathing out. You're not doing multiple contractions during that breath out. It's going to be one contraction as you breathe out. That feels nice. And then kind of do the whole thing all over again. Um, there's, you know, there's different ways to determine strength of the pelvic floor. And one of them is how quickly you can do that contraction too, like the speed of it, right? And how many can you do contract, relax, contract, relax in 10 seconds, right? Or five seconds. How, and so there's, and how, how long can you hold it? Can you contract and hold for five, 10, 15 seconds? I mean, so it's interesting to see, like there's different variations of pelvic floor contraction, but just baseline, it's just that sort of contraction as you breathe out will help engage those abdominal muscles. So as you're breathing out, contracting and bringing that blueberry up, think about those two hip bones coming together. So as you can see, this is challenging, right? It's not, you're like, wait a second. I thought I was just clenching and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I totally had this. And, you know, in a lot of ways you're, you're contracting something, but is it your pelvic floor and is it, and is it in a safe manner? Are you doing more harm than good? And so it, those are all things to consider. Yes. So I think that, you know, connecting it to the breath really helps slow people down to connect to their pelvic floor easier. Yeah, and it feels nice. Like it feels almost meditative instead of sitting here clenching my jaw and just pulsing. Oh, yes. Um, that's not good. That's not good. You know, and no. that can be a progression. Sitting is a great progression towards like, okay, you totally have this under control. You can do 10 of them very easily. You feel and you feel like you're connecting well with the pelvic floor. Now change, try it and seated. Now do it in seated, you know, and, and then you're going to try it in a different position when you're leaking the most, you know, try it, try it there. And so it can be transferred to various different positions. I feel like this should be like a whole workshop. Like, I feel I, like there should I'm be creating like, one. Don't you worry. It's coming down the pipeline. <laughs> okay, good. Because I imagine like sitting virtually or non-virtually eventually <laughs> in a room with other mamas just doing these exercises together like how empowering would that be yeah I'm gonna be start doing probably in the next few months the pandemic has really put a wrench in all of this in-person stuff of course but doing exactly that group group courses taking people through a six-week program where they can come a couple times a week and just be in community with each other and work on 
kind of just building the foundation. I, you know, I hate the term, let's get our body back. Right. I, mm-hmm. I think that we need to build our foundation back yeah. and then we can go beyond. I hate that term too, because my body never went away, you know, like I hate, let's get our body back. Like it never went anywhere. I I agree. Like (laughs) rebuilding the foundation. And what I love about your idea too, is that I know for me, like the thought of seeing a physical therapist is kind of intimidating and I know that that shouldn't be how I feel but I feel like with so much of the medical stuff, we get intimidated to go on our own. So we just don't go which is not right but if it was like a group thing and like you had a girlfriend that maybe had a baby around the same time or maybe even not you could say hey you want to go to this together it's just or you meet new other moms i mean i would go like 10 out of 10 around the time frame too right you just all had newborns together how i mean i wish that they did that for me postpartum right like just put me in a club with some people that are all going through the same stuff that i am yeah that would be so cool i love it i am so excited for you thank you yeah it's exciting if there was one takeaway that you would like listeners to learn from you today about our pelvic floor what would it be or anything else it can be anything absolutely um i think that I really want people to know that there are a lot of symptoms out there that are common that are not normal. And so I try to hit that home a lot with people, right? Like after you have a baby, urinary leakage is not normal. It's common and we have made it seem like it's normal, but common does not equal normal. And I just want people to know that if you are suffering from that, if you have pelvic pain, if you have pain with sex or penetration, putting a tampon in, gynecology appointments, if you are having feeling that some heaviness in your pelvis, um, if you're having difficulty returning back to higher level exercise or just exercise in general, um, back pain, hip pain, SI joint pain after having a baby, there is hope for you and there's help for you. And that's going to be with the public or physical therapist because they're trained to support you in that. And so many people see such benefits in re- relatively short amount of time. Like the average is six to eight weeks, six to eight visits. People see significant change in their problematic symptom. So I think that a lot of people don't know public floor physical therapy exists even, and it's not some taboo, scary thing. To be quite honest with you, the first session, we probably just talk with you the entire time about your birth story, how you felt it went, um, what you're struggling with, like what you want to get back to. It's all about you and your goals. And most people leave feeling like a weight has been lifted off of them or feeling like, wow, for the first time, I feel like I've been heard. And I feel like someone cares about my recovery and they're going to help me. That's a good physical therapist for you. That's amazing. I love that. And I love that notion of what you said, just because it's common doesn't Mm -hmm. mean it's normal because that's also true for mental health as well, right? Like so much of what us new moms feel is common, but it's not normal and you should get help and what I love about what you said a lot about the pelvic seeing a pelvic floor therapist is you don't have to suffer I guess that's what I'm thinking about myself is like man I don't need to put myself through 
like pain or discomfort and just kind of brush it off with, well, that's just what it is. I just, I had a baby and that's what I have to deal with now. No, you can get help and just get, you you can, you can heal. You, You can really speed up that healing process. Yeah, so true. I mean, there's there's so much help out there for you, especially that notion that you just talked about, people feeling like they have to suffer and suffer alone. And um, it just breaks your heart because if they would have known or someone would have pointed the resource or, or at the end of the day, if they knew about it and they had the courage to go get the help, how much different their life would be. Yeah, I love that. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for being my guest today. Where can everyone connect with you? Yeah, right now I'm primarily just on Instagram sharing, um, lighting a fire under other people to make some change in the postpartum world and uh, sharing some public floor tips, exercises, education, all of that over there. I'm at at jessicalondon.wellness. And I have a freebie on there as well. So the link that you click, it'll give you, uh, it'll email you over a are you doing your Kegels correctly? Little PDF and it will kind of walk you through step-by-step. Step. And then I also have a video on it as well that you will also be getting uh, in an email later as well. Yes. And I have the, are you doing your Kegels correctly? PDF in front of me. It is <laughs> awesome. It is simple. It is quick to, vis- to see because sometimes I feel like even some of these downloads can be so intimidating with like so much on it but this is really you give you break it down really well i'm seeing like the cue imagine you're picking up a blueberry through your vagina and drying it up what a great visual i love Mm -hmm. that little tips and tricks will be kind of throughout spreaded through there Yeah, I love that. So follow Jessica on Instagram, slide into her DMs, and I'll definitely include all of what everything we said, including her links in the show notes. So yeah, give it, give her a follow. And thank you all for joining us and catch us next week for the next episode. Thank you, Jessica. Yeah, thanks so much, Linda. It was such an honor to speak with you tonight and to be on your podcast. joining us this week on the new mamas podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did be sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite listening platform have a friend that would like this podcast share the love stay in touch definitely give us a follow on instagram at new mamas podcast i'd also love to continue the conversation with you on my personal account so let's be friends slide into my dms at lena forestal finally be sure to check out my blog at lenaforestal.com for all things motherhood, homesteading, and recipes that both you and baby will love. Thanks again, and stay tuned for next week's episode.